Disclaimer, today's episode involves discussions of hate speech and homophobia. We advise extreme caution for listeners under the age of 13. Theft, vandalism, murder. Crime has a unique ability to both fascinate and terrify us. But what if we're not seeing the whole picture? What if our personal perspectives stop us from truly understanding the who, what, when, where, why, and how of criminal activities? This is Crime Pros, the true crime podcast where we unlock the little-known motives and facts behind some of history's most intriguing open and solved cases. Each week, a different professional will give insights based on what they know to help us understand the big picture surrounding a shocking crime. From social media gurus to regional natives, our experts bring unique perspectives to tell a story like you've never heard before. Welcome to Crime Pros. Welcome to Crime Pros episode one. I cannot wait for you to hear today's story. We're actually, for our first episode, doing a little bit of a discussion about a topic that's really close to my heart. And I'm sure you've read the title of the episode on wherever you're listening to us. But today's expert is an expert in all things LGBTQIA+. And we're discussing a crime against that community and really what hate crimes um, have have become in the past, you know, 30, 40 years. So today's guest is a very special guest. What I did was from our last season of The Life Inspired, I said, who was the guest on the most popular episode? Because I thought it might be fun to have them as the guest on our first episode of Crime Pros. And you'll never guess this episode, listen, this person's episode had almost twice as many downloads as the second most downloaded episode. So I know you all really love him, and I do too. This is my boyfriend, Nick. Hi, Nick. Hello. Thank you for having me. So, Nick Masters, um, the thing that makes you a a an expert on the LGBTQIA plus community is that you are a gay. Um, so, I think you have probably heard the story that we're going to tell today. It's a story of hate and violence and murder. Um, but in the end, also of activism and hope for the future. So today we are discussing the Matthew Shepard hate crime. So picture this, Nick. It is October 6th, 1998. Uh, Do you remember 98 at all? No, unfortunately, that was a long time ago. I was only... Actually, I was seven. So I was, let's see, October 6th, I was one and a half. Go, go. And uh, (laughs) a couple months from being two. Um, So it's October 6th, 1998. And 
intro, Matthew Shepard. He's at the Fireside Lounge in Laramie, Wyoming, you know, just like a night on the town with his friends. Um, they're just hanging out. He's 21. He's a student at the University of Wyoming where he's a freshman um, and he's just living his best life with his friends. And here he meets Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson, just two other guys around his age and they strike up a conversation. They get to know each other um, and they're there may have been even a little bit of flirting because we know that Matthew was a gay man. So 98, a different time than today, it was still pretty taboo to be open and out about your sexuality if you're anything other than a heterosexual cisgender person. But Matthew was out and proud um, and he actually even had a history of being attacked as a teenager for being gay. And there's a report that he was once even raped on a trip. So he had really gone through a lot and had kind of overcome it because he was a proud advocate for his community. Um, and when I think of the 1990s, I think of the TV show Friends and how I know everyone always says like that show was like cutting edge. Like they were real advocates for the gays in that time. And there were, I think, maybe one gay character on the entire 10 seasons. Mm, there was more, maybe two that I can think of off the top of my head. So like, it was definitely a different time, right? So they're at the Fireside Lounge and Matthew and Aaron and Russell are all hanging out. And Aaron and Russell end up offering Matthew a ride home and he gladly accepts because he you know, doesn't want to walk or anything. But they end up driving him to a rural spot outside of Laramie. And we have to remember this is Wyoming, one of the least populated states in the country. There's a lot of open space and fields. Um, and this is where they give us the gay story and i'm i'm sure you know the gay story which is when a straight man accuses a gay man or a straight woman accuses a gay woman of hitting on them trying to assault or harass them um, and making unwanted advances uh towards someone who does not share the same attraction. And we uh, know that there are times that this happens and that, that we always wanna make sure we hear victim stories. But we also know, especially in the past, that more often than not, this was an excuse that people gave in order to abuse or harass someone else. And so Aaron and Russell, later they later said that that Matthew had tried to hit on one of them. And, and whether it was true or not, they used this as an excuse to rob, beat, and torture Matthew. He was pistol whipped, he was beaten up at least 18 times, and his skull was fractured in the attack. And there's actually reports that say that by the end of it, his face was so covered in blood that the only places on his face that didn't have blood on them were where his tears had had run down and they they beat him they robbed him took a lot of his things and then they left him there to die tied to a fence in wyoming in october at night in near freezing temperatures now aaron and russell they find matthew's address because they have access to his wallet now so they find his address and return to town planning to rob his home but on the way they um, they stop by a bar and 
Aaron ends up getting into a street fight with two other young men, and he is using racial slurs, which, by the way, also leads to hate crimes. Um, he's using racial slurs, and it ends up getting physical, and he ends up pistol whipping one of them, and the cops show up, and they actually arrest Aaron that night for getting into this fight. When they arrest Aaron and break up the fight, they also search Russell's truck where they find blood, which to be fair, October in Wyoming is probably some type of hunting season. So it's a little bit like, it's definitely something they notice and it goes in their report, but it's not suspicious. Um, they also find the gun that we now know is used to beat Matthew and they find shoes that do not belong to Aaron or Russell, and they find a credit card with the name Matthew Shepard. Now back in the field that night, Matthew is tied to a fence in the cold all night. He's there for 18 hours and actually ends up in a coma. The next morning, 18-year-old Aaron Kreifels, who is also a freshman in college, is biking. Uh, in this rural area near where Matthew is. And he ends up hitting a rock and falling off of his bike, which is like the world's most insane coincidence. And that's when he notices something slumped up against the fence in a field nearby. And he actually thinks it's a scarecrow at first, but quickly realizes that it's a person and calls for help. The police arrive and they realize that this person is tied to the fence. We know it's Matthew. They actually at first thought it was a child because of how small he was. And he was pretty unrecognizable based on how badly he had been beaten and how bloody he was. But they're able to find his ID and identify him right there on the spot. Officer Reggie Flutie is the first police officer on the scene. And when she gets there, she sees that Matthew is unconscious and his mouth is filled with blood. And she actually has to use her bare hands to clear an airway in his mouth. And this is not protocol. Usually officers would put on gloves um, and, and then they could clear the airway. But for some reason, the emergency services were completely out of gloves and she decided that she was going to make sure he could breathe. So still in a coma, Matthew was transported to the local hospital and then to a trauma center in Fort Collins, Colorado nearby. And they used his university ID to identify Matthew and notify his family who actually has to fly in from out of the country. His family arrives at the hospital a few days later, and that's where they notify medical staff that he is gay and that Matthew is HIV positive. And I don't know about you, Nick, but this really makes me think about where we were in the AIDS crisis in 1998 um, and just how heartbreaking it is that today Today, I think if someone was discovered in this situation and HIV positive, it, it may not even be a note in you know history, but it's something that people make very well known about Matthew. And they're worried about all of the police officers who actually even came into contact with him um, because he was bloody. And uh, that's why it's important that we note the officer Flutie didn't even have gloves because there were reports that she had cuts on her hand and actually had to be tested for HIV after, uh, after she you know, helped him. And she tested negative, she was fine. Um, 
but yeah, it's definitely just a sign of the times in the 90s. But anyway, at the hospital um, in Colorado, there is so much damage to Matthew, including a fractured skull and a fractured right ear. He also has an damage to his brainstem, which your brainstem regulates your heart rate, your body temperature, your emotions. So his body is going through all kinds of trauma in addition to just the physical abuse and lacerations and beatings that he's taken. Now, meantime, Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson are easily connected to the arrest, right? Because they found shoes that didn't belong to either of the men when they arrested them that night for, for the fighting. They found shoes and they knew that Matthew wasn't wearing shoes. They actually later found out that they took his shoes in case he freed himself from being tied to the fence. They didn't want him to be able to walk back to town. So they took his shoes with them. But also the credit card that they had in their truck had Matthew's name on it. So it was not hard for the police to connect them. And they arrested them that very same day that Matthew was discovered, and they were charged with attempted murder, kidnapping, and aggravated robbery. Soon after, their girlfriends were also charged with accessory for disposing of evidence when it was discovered that they tried to make the boy's truck disappear, and they also provided false alibis to police about where they were before the street fight. Now, six days later, Matthew Shepard dies at the age of 21, and the charges against Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson are upgraded to first degree murder. At Matthew Shepard's funeral, the Westboro Baptist Church protests and held signs that said, quote, Matt in hell. Now, Matthew had friends that formed a circle around the protesters to block out the ceremony from their view, and the police ended up also arriving to separate the protesters from the, the funeral ceremony. But just how awful that anyone would, would do that. Yeah, the poor family. I can only imagine, you know, being there to grieve your son, brother, nephew, whoever, and then having people sitting there on the side you know with signs and oh that's got to be what a situation i've heard of them doing that to like military funerals and stuff along that line and it's just bewildering like why why would you ever do that i know i just can't yeah you know i grew up baptist and i worked in a baptist church Mm -hmm. for a while and this church does no, just like, absolutely not. This is not what what church is about. Anyway, so yes, so that was Matthew's funeral. And then at trial, Aaron and Russell reveal that they actually pre-targeted Matthew for robbery. So they're claiming that their intention the whole time was that they were going to rob Matthew, which is a little bit suspicious because he's a college freshman. Like, what could he, act, like, if I'm going to, like, plan a robbery <laughs> who goes after a college freshman like what are they going to have a that you can college steal? freshman yeah in nothing. their right like what are they going to have in their dorm room <laughs> like nothing yeah nothing 
And it's not even like he had like a car that they could steal. They offered him a ride, you know, I just, I don't know. Anyway, that's their claim. And they admit that they pretended to be gay to rope him into their truck so that they could rob and attack him. Now, uh, again, they use the gay story, which is the claim that Matthew was touching Aaron's leg and that is why they attacked him. And uh, you know that I have a lot of compassion and respect for people who go through sexual harassment, but the fact that they tried, I don't know, it just really gets under my skin. You know, like I just, I just don't believe them because to say that he touched your leg so then you beat him 18 times with your pistol and tied him to a fence and left him to die, like not, not an equal response. But we'll get to that in a second because there is more to that. Now, Russell eventually pled guilty in order to avoid trial and entered a plea deal that he would testify against Aaron. Um, And I've, Again, there's conflicting reports because obviously these two men kind of want to throw the blame on each other. And it has been, what now, like over 20 years since this crime took place. But the consensus is that it was actually Aaron who did most of the beating and Russell, you know, may have tied him up. Um, but he enters this plea deal to testify against Aaron and he's granted immunity from the death penalty and a judge sentences him to two life sentences. So he can't get out of prison, but the, the deal is that he will not get the death penalty. Now, Aaron's trial is set for October 1999 and there his girlfriend testifies that he pretended to be gay in order to get Matthew into his truck and remember she is also now accused as an accessory of murder so she's probably entering a plea deal and then Russell testifies that Aaron quote felt a certain way about gays which hate crime They also use the gay panic defense, which is a legal defense, completely legal to use in court. And it is the defense that a crime was committed against someone because that victim was gay and they may have somehow hit on or approached or touched a straight person. And that because that straight person was so irate about the fact that someone who they were not attracted to may have been attracted to them, that they can claim temporary insanity because they're not gay. It's completely legal defense. Wow, that's a joke. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. And it actually kind of worked. Now, not 100%. The judge actually ruled that the gay panic defense could not be used in Wyoming because there was a law in Wyoming that it essentially outlawed the use of a temporary insanity plea at all. So they couldn't use the gay panic defense, but it did convince the jury that it wasn't premeditated murder. They seem to have believed that they, the boys really did intend to rob Matthew and Matthew had come on to them in some way and that that was why they had committed the attack. I don't know, but he's found not guilty of premeditated murder, though he is found guilty of felony murder, which is still eligible for the death penalty. 
And the jury actually has to deliberate whether or not he'll be sentenced to the death penalty. Uh, and during this time, Matthew's parents, not Aaron's parents, Matthew's parents asked for a lenient sentence just because they're like the best people ever apparently. And so the judge ends up sentencing Aaron to two life terms, the same as Russell. Since this time, Matthew Shepard's family has fought for LGBTQIA plus protection. In October, 2009, 10 years after Aaron's trial, President Barack Obama signed the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act into law, which extended hate crime protection to the gay community, uh, protections that are already afforded to other minority and persecuted groups. Um, and that's where we stand today. And justice is served to Aaron and Russell. They will never get out of prison. Matthew's family was able to advocate for this new law. And they've also advocated for uh, legislation in states like Wyoming. But we still live in a world filled with hate crimes and hate towards all kinds of, not just the LGBTQ community, but all kinds of groups and oppressed people. So I don't know, what do you think, Nick? Where, how do you feel like we, we are doing today? I feel like, you know, it, with regards to this case, uh, McKinney and Henderson, while they did get two life sentences, I don't know, the, just the level of absolute brutalness that they, you know, gave, or, uh, I guess, gave towards Matthew was just awful. I know. Uh, I'm not one for the death penalty, but if one deserved one, I think this case definitely did. They're yeah. just terrible. And I think they used a scapegoat of him being gay and him quote unquote coming on to them, which I don't care if if someone comes on to you, that's no excuse to completely brutalize them and leave them for dead. It's, right. Yeah, it's just awful. But, you know, they did get put away for life and life again. So at the very least, they are off the streets and will never be able to live a normal life again. But for for Judy Shepard to ask for a reduced sentence, that's a pretty strong woman. That is, I, uh, I don't know if I could do that. That would be rough. I know. I, yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you with the death penalty. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty against it, but I, it's cases like this where it's easier for me to put myself in Matthew Shepard's shoes, like similar age. Um, obviously we're both gay and we, <laughs> um, he's, he was short and I'm pretty short and um, we even have the same haircut, but um, <laughs> he, yeah, I just, I just don't, of course, some people say that life in prison is worse than the death penalty, that it's more punishment sure. because you have to really think on what you did. So maybe, maybe, I don't know, but I do also admire the shepherd parents and their Episcopalians, which is a denomination of the Christian faith that um, advocates for love and acceptance of all people. And today Episcopalian churches are very open and welcoming to the gay community and do a lot of advocacy for the gay community. Uh, so 
I also admire them. But yeah, I just can't get over the fact that touch it. Because again, I am a big advocate of, you know, assault and rape victims have a right to defend themselves. But I don't think that touching someone's leg and then killing them in response is like an equivalent response. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if they were lying and their girlfriends were lying about, you know, some things, who's to say that that actually occurred? Oh, absolutely. Again, still no justification for what they did. Yeah. I think it's just an important reminder that people in oppressed groups are more vulnerable to crime. People in the LGBTQ community, our Black neighbors, our immigrant friends, these people who are either in minorities or just oppressed for any reason are more vulnerable to crime. And I think it's up to us as a society to make sure that we do things to protect them, including legislation and advocacy and just watching out for our friends and family and people that we meet um, to make sure that we keep them safe. So this has been our first episode of Crime Pros. I hope that you take something away from this and that you did learn a new story about crime in history, but that we also can consider how we can protect and support the communities around us. So have a great week, everyone. We'll be back next Monday with another true crime pro and another true crime story.